Welcome to the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast, your source for helping you dominate and insulate your growing practice through two pillars of success, systems and marketing. And now here's your host, Dr. Peter Bolden. Welcome everybody to the next edition of the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. Today, I thought it'd be an awesome treat to have us talk to a fourth-year dental student. We have Matthew Lewis with us, and Matt is a fourth-year dental student at the Dental College of Georgia. Most of us know it as MCG. If, if you're in the uh, the South, everyone knows of MCG and not Dental College of Georgia. Matt and I were on the phone here just recently saying how many times it had changed names, but essentially, Matt, for all intents and purposes, you go to MCG for me, okay, buddy? That's right. Okay. <laughs> and you're uh, you're you're a Georgia boy like me. You're born and raised in Georgia. You're from Macon, Georgia. And um, thanks for coming on the show, buddy. Absolutely. So so excited to be here. So Matt, you you're a fourth year dental student, and obviously, I was telling you that the reason I wanted you to come on the show was because. Older guys like myself or guys who have been practicing, we like to hear kind of the state of state of the status of kind of where things are in dentistry. You know, we kind of live vicariously through through the guys graduating. We like to hear where your mindset is. We like to hear, you know, what kind of money y'all are expecting to get out of school. We like to hear is everyone wanting to go corporate. So all these questions, you know, I want to kind of dive into because we are quote unquote out of touch with that environment. You know, we're running businesses and and focusing on patient care and we're kind of out of that environment. So it's nice to hear it's nice to hear the thoughts of someone who's, you know, about to be departing from the land of dental school. So what is the status of job offerings? Like where, who, who is coming at you guys? Is it a big corporate offerings coming at you guys? Or are a lot of your classmates trying to go into the private practice? Or I should say, and how much of your class is wanting to go into either a specialty or a GPR? It's a pretty loaded question. I can break it up for you, but or a full question, but go ahead with it if you got it. So I would say in the line of who's coming at us, uh, so we have lunch and learns on a pretty regular basis. I don't know how long standing that's been, but you know, Forever. different groups will come in, they buy, they buy you lunch. So you show up and corporate is, they come often, you know, I guess one of the challenges as a dental student is to try to kind of thread through what is reality and what are inflated numbers. I you know, talking with classmates and just kind of, you know, after these, you know, when we're full, just talking about it is like, I feel like what we're getting from them, what they're telling us is obviously the ideal, you know, the top, the top number they could figure for us. And you're talking about income, right? Income, right. Income yeah. and opportunity as well. It's mm-hmm. always kind of, you know, they, they tell us that there's a lot of buy-in potential in various cases. There also is like two in my mind, two different kinds of corporate we've got. I mean, just for names. So there's Heartland. Heartland Dental Mm -hmm. has the best sell so far from what I've heard. Heartland, they'll retain the name of the practice. I think from what I gather, it's a lot of practices that they're buying. Maybe they're also building independent practices within themselves, but Yep. They're doing both. You're right. And I guess from our sake as students, we're probably looking more at, at this point, associating in or, you know, down the road is an option to sell your practice out to Heartland. But I like the way they sell it better than say your Pacific or your Aspen or your great expressions. And those people, those groups that come into, you know, they, they have their selling points. But for me, one of the key reasons I came, decided to go dental was for that 
autonomy, you know, to be my own boss, to, to build something myself, to have my own practice and to switch that at this point when I'm so close to being there to buy into the corporate model. I don't know. It's, it's, it is tough. It's, it's a tough call. You know, it, it looks in ways like that's the way of the future. Do you buy in early? Do you, do you get in now while they're still expanding? Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you think? All right. So I'll go back to the question. You're saying that I do. I, what do I see? My question for you, I guess, is from a selfish perspective, should we try to embed ourselves in this corporate structure early, you know, when there is potential to kind of be a leader in a corporate setting or do you resist our professors tell us, you know, almost to resist this corporate takeover and to keep it small business. And, you know, I trust them, but they're also not necessarily concerned with where I am in 20 years. Maybe they are. I think there's two, two, I mean, I think those are all good thoughts. I don't think that quote unquote, a corporate situation is terrible. I like the, you know, we call it the kind of the cottage industry where it's a standalone practice. And what you will hear is that there's corporate takeover, which there is to a certain degree, but it's getting less in my, it was kind of full on full velocity for a while. And they're like, Oh, corporate's going to take over all the dentistry. But in my opinion, they can't compete with, I mean, yes, they can compete on better pricing and they can, you know, better pricing on supplies and, you know, economies of scale, things like that. But you can't beat the relationship-based dentist. And so I think that that will persist for a long time. I don't think that there will be a complete takeover. That's comforting. Yeah. And, and, and I don't think people want it to, you know, I think that there's like your professors are kind of wanting you to resist because I think that they see the specialty or the specialness of dentistry being that, you know, we have, we are business owners who are providing a relationship-based treatment to our patients. And, and once you start only being driven by numbers and metrics and P&Ls and all this stuff, which corporate dentistry is because you have big time and boards and you have to answer to, it really destroys that. And it's hard. It's almost like a conflict of interest. You're just trying to drive profits as opposed to trying to trying to drive care. And I'm not saying that applies to all corporate. I actually like, I think Heartland does a great job, but there are some people, so there are some corporate aspects or corporate entities that have been in trouble. If you, if you do any kind of Googling about these, they've been in trouble because of the aforementioned of what I just said, that patient care has been compromised in lieu of trying to drive profits. So if I were you as a dental student, I would say I would keep my options open, right? Like you want to see, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm not doing this or I'm not doing that. I would say, okay, what works best for me? Because I don't think that your first job will be what you retire with. You will get experience clinically and just kind of life experience on wherever you go. So it will be invaluable and it might, it probably won't be the last place that you kind of like, oh, I'm going to practice here for the next 40 years and that's it, you know? So you'll gain good experience. Like a lot of us older guys did in dentistry. We, we gained experience as an associate, or maybe we were in a chain dental chain and, um, you know, and that served us well because it all, it all experience serves value in your life. It's, you know, whether or not you know it or not, (laughs) but hindsight, looking back, there's always value. And that's a lot too. It's, keeping your options open. Like you say, that's a lot of the mentality of us as dental students. A lot, you know, a lot of us are seeing uh, corporate as a first job option that the turnover is clearly high. You know, they'll even tell us, you know, that, you know, that they turn over a lot of dentists. So it's, it's being viewed from our perspective almost as a guaranteed first out job. You know, you spend two years there, 
and then you get the speed, you get the experience, you and and you're not necessarily investing a whole lot of your yourself into it. You're really just well, it's a job, right? I mean, it's a job right out of school, and that and you're right. When you guys are, and I want to jump into this, and when you guys are straddled with debt, I think that's one of the biggest things that they come at you from a corporate perspective, or at least I've heard is, hey, look at all this debt you have. You need to get a job with us because you know you can't open your own practice, you can't buy into partnership, but you can come in with us, and you know, and we'll pay you well. And I think that I think that a lot of we're going to call it corporate, but I think a lot of corporate, you know, will will prey on that aspect of the fact that you guys are getting out with tremendous more debt than I was accustomed to. You know, I thought I got out with a lot of debt when I graduated. You know, I graduated 15 years ago, but I thought, you know, I was one hundred fifty thousand dollars in debt, maybe maybe even a little bit more. And I, I was probably at the top of that bell curve of what was, in my opinion, for dental students. And now, like. Tell me, give me a little bit of stories about like, you can even share yours if you're comfortable. I mean, I know it's just part of the process, but so you know, and then some of your classmates, et cetera. I'm in state in Georgia and I will be leaving with right around 250,000. You can squeeze, you know, what? Plenty, plenty of students squeeze for a little bit lower. And, you know, if you're paying out of state tuition, you're looking way above that. The average debt load right now that I understand is right around 260 nationwide. So yeah, it's considerable. It's a lot to think about. It's scary. Yeah, that is. And you know, and it, you know, but it, it is part of the process. I'm not trying to say that it wasn't, it's a good investment, right? But you know, I've talked to folks, you know, uh, talked to an associate the other day graduating. He had five, granted he was going to a private dental school, but it was $500,000, you know, and I didn't want to crush him and be like, dude, do you realize how what this is going to do to your life. Like you are going to be stuck under this for a long time. It's hard to pay back that kind of money, especially in the infancy of your, of your career. But it, you know, it is what it is. It's just, it's startling to me how easy and access, the access y'all have to money and had startling to me how much they let y'all get into debt because man, it's just, it's not, like I said, it's not easy to pay off, but I mean, obviously you will. And the default rate for dentists is super, super low. So that's why they throw money at y'all. <laughs> Default but it does comforting. go ahead that no it's just comforting to know that that default rate is low that gives you kind of hope you know that okay i'm looking at a big number right here but people are doing it people are getting out of it and the problem too though is that what you'll see is that does in my opinion that puts strength back into the corporate aspect because you guys that's an unsecured debt so to speak you know do you kind of know the difference between that is basically a bank can't repossess that debt so banks that are looking if you went to a bank and said i want to open a practice then they look at your your liability your total debt liability that you have in your life and say well shoot we can't there's no recourse on getting back his student loans like they're first in line so it's scary for them let's say you had some classmates that want to go up and open their own practice it's scary for the bank knowing that that they are kind of second in line if there was a default. Even with the default being low, they're kind of second in line because your student loans are always going to trump that. So, you know, unsecured debts definitely scares a bank, but, you know, it's not insurmountable. I'm just letting you know that there's, you know, the higher you go in debt, I think it lessens your options about what you can do post-graduation. Does that make any sense? It does make sense. That totally okay. makes sense. I think... Fewer of my classmates are looking to go straight out and try to harness that loan. Everyone is looking at some form of associateship in one way or another. Or And you asked earlier, or specialty. I think our class is like 40% specialty going into some kind of residency. Really? Okay. Does that include GPR? That does include GPR. Okay. So 40% of your class is going to some type of postgraduate education. Right. 
Okay. And 60% are going right into the workforce. And and I would estimate, you know, that 55 or even 60% of those, I know one guy who is looking to start a practice in my class, okay. 85. Okay. One, uh, one at 85. Okay. And that's one person. Just- there may be others, but I know of only one person who is looking to actually do a startup. Now that, yeah, that, so that's definitely changed because I know when I was in my class of 55, like there was, there was 10 guys that were looking to do their own practice. So that's definitely changed. And I don't know if debt has played a huge role in that. I don't know if the economy or just the trajectory of dentistry has changed that, but that's interesting because that's definitely a shift in the way things quote unquote were. So let me also, I want to talk to you about, since we're on the topic of the money. So what have, let's talk about what has been promised to you guys as recent grads. I once had a conversation with an associate right out of school to work with us and I was blown away by what they came out the gates with and said, well, this is what I need to make. And they were like, I need to make 250 a year. And I looked at them and I said, do you know what it takes to make 250 a year? That means at minimum, you've got to bring in 750 into the practice, right? You've got to do $750,000 of dentistry. And you just came from the land of where you were allowed three hours to do a crown prep, well, actually a prep, and then three hours to probably do one seat. I was like, you've got 30 minutes in the private sector, you know, to do that. And like, you, you can't, Produce. So I was very frustrated with the level of expectation of income, but I knew that they didn't have the speed or anything or the idea of what it took to run the business. So it just didn't work out monetarily. So I was like, man, this is just, we are worlds apart on what you'll be able to do. So I didn't want to underpromise that gentleman and then under deliver on a salary. So I was like, look, it's just not a fit. You're, you know, come talk to me in five years when you actually have data that can back up what you're asking for. What I'm hearing and kind of feeling out here is that most everyone, I mean, I think the 120 range is kind of a baseline acceptance for what most people are willing to accept. Okay. And I'd have to get my calculator out here to, you know, translate that to a daily pay. But I know that one of the corporate offices, their first six months, they were. It's 750, just so you know. It's 750 a day. 750 a day. Okay. I think. Yeah, I, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure about that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So one of the corporate was their promises 500 a day, and that's a guarantee. You know, no matter what you produce, you're getting 500 a day for the first six months until you decide. You know, is this a fit? So, you know, where I'm going with this in my head is, you know, if I'm wanting to hire associates, like I'm the reason I'm asking these questions is because a lot of guys are like me probably listening to this podcast, maybe that are in the market, so to speak, for either a partner or someone who's going to buy in or an associate or something. So it's nice to have the data that can you can at least have intelligent conversations where you're both on the same page. And if, quote unquote, they're offering $500 as the no questions asked baseline, then we need to be able to make sure we're having, being able to provide at least that to you guys, because otherwise you're going to go in a different direction of saying, well, shit, I'm not going that way. I'm going, going where I guaranteed money. So that helps me. And I'm sure other guys establish a baseline of what we would need to at least offer. Does that jive kind of with what yeah, you're thinking? Yeah, I, I think it's safe. I think that, you know, sometimes you can even offer, I mean, everyone needs a base, right? Because you're getting out. Obviously, you're going to have debt service right away. Like all these things are going to, life is going to start coming at y'all and you have to have a base and everyone gets that. I think the rub for me came from the fact that like there's a difference between survival 
of where you need to be and excessiveness. And then also knowing what it takes to get from to that, you know, that level of two, making $250,000 a year, you, you've never done that before. And I'm not going to be the science, you know, I'm not going to be the kind of proof of concept in the practice that let's see if you can get there. But so I think if you are very humble and you come saying, Hey, I know I can do this, you know, I'm good with this money. And then in six months, let's revisit it and talk about where we are now, you know, and maybe you've increased your speed and now you want to go to a percentage based commission, you know, like, like most associates are on a breakdown of, you know, anywhere from 28 to 35% of what they produce or collect. There's big areas in between there. So I think that's all good, but I th- I would probably look for the base, the base rate when you're coming out, just so you have a guarantee. And I've actually done the situation, Matt, where I've done, look, here, I'll give you a base guaranteed, but also we can also calculate the monthly number. So at least you, you know, you'll get the base, but we can calculate the monthly number based on your collections, right? And so if that number is greater than, than the math of $500 a day, then you actually get the bigger number. You know, it's not, you don't get both. You obviously just get the bigger number of, of your actually what you've done with your own two hands. And I've heard, I've heard that also, you know, the kind of percentage on top, you know, if you overproduce this. 500, you know, then you, you don't get snuffed right. So Right. But at least you have something to fall back on. Now I've also told people, I was like, look, if we're doing, if, we're, if you're getting the, the base, if I'm paying you the base month after month after month, we're going to have to have a harder conversation because that means you're not actually, you know, progressing forward very well. But yeah, I mean, so I think, I think, I think just being humble, honestly, and just knowing that, you know, I think that'd be a good advice for for guys getting out because I've heard too many stories of people like demanding and I'm like, really? Like that's just, this just, just isn't starting out the right way. So that would be, I'm glad to hear that you're kind of, you know, I think 120 is a good reality, honestly, especially right out the gate. And that, like I said, you know, that's a kind of a baseline acceptance from, you know, the people I've been talking with. There are some, for, I haven't heard anything as far as, you know, t- expecting 250 out of the gates, but. Well, yeah, maybe this was just, a, maybe this is just my, my poor experience with, but well, I'm glad to hear that. Mention there, though, that is curious to me is, so as someone coming out, looking at a contract, is it common, is it regular practice to establish something only six months down the road and revisit? Is that pretty standard to, you know? I don't know if it's standard, but I think I would definitely put that in negotiation. And I would want someone to do that because someone who wants to revisit their performance on a six-month basis or wants it continually audited, so to speak, means that they're going to hustle, right? right? And, they're, and they're looking at it from their benefit, which I like I like that because that means that if, you know, if they're going to win, then I'm going to win, right? And, and everybody in the relationship has to be kind of a triple win. The practice has to win, the owner has to win, the dentist has to win, or else things just fall out of place. You know, and things get sideways really quickly. And that's why you'll hear about hear about a lot of failed associates is because, you know, it just becomes unfair, right? And that just never works in perpetuity kind of thing. Lining up our goals together. Yeah. Yeah. So I would I would actually say that I would push for that if you're looking looking for that. I would say, look, I know I know I'm gonna have this learning period for six months or let's just say this acclimation period into the private sector or you know, outside of dental school, but I would love to revisit this because I plan to throw in 110% of my mind, body, and soul into this practice. And I want to revisit it so that there's upside for me. And I would, you know, if someone said that to me, I'd be like, well, hell yeah, finally. Yeah. You know, I would love that. So don't be afraid to, to, to come at it with that mindset. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it behooves everybody. I really do. Okay. So let's, there's a running joke with practicing dentists, in my opinion, about guys I talk to all the time. And we always say like how woefully prepared we were to run a company or how woefully prepared we were to, the dental school prepared us rather to run a company. And that's so big of a part 
of dentistry, meaning that, you know, I, I always tell people, I'm like, the dentistry becomes the easy part at some point, And the business is what you struggle with. You know, you have your HR concerns and, you know, you're trying to, you know, you're trying to run a business on, you know, data and numbers and P&Ls. And, you know, you have staffing concerns and problems with this person and this person. So the dentistry becomes like the easy part because it's the non-variable. And sometimes does that make sense? And so- Definitely. I, has that changed at all? Have the, has dentistry at all picked up on the fact that we it's this running joke? I would hope that they picked up on it after years and years and years and said, "Hey, you know what? Like, let's go back and and put some more business classes in here. At least it teach these." Running the joke is still, it's still the joke. It is. <laughs> it's you know you got a bunch of these you got a bunch of science nerds in these classrooms. You know, myself included. Mm-hmm. And they you know they start throwing business terms at us and. You know, for no matter how much effort you put into it, it's not, it's just not in a lot of ways the way we've been trained to think. It's not, it's just a whole new, it's a whole new focus. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's in between your microbiology class and clinic, you know, so you go in there for an hour and a half or two hours and hear about taxing and whatever business management. And you sit there and you try to think about it and you try to, you try to learn something, but it's just, we have one business class for two years. Okay. So it's the same thing. I had one and honestly, the guy who taught it was probably had never run a business and, you know, and it was just, it was a joke. It was literally where we'd go in and we'd study for other classes. It's a check um, box almost. Yeah. And, okay. So and, that hasn't changed. <laughs> I, would, I would hate to throw my professor into the bus right now who taught us. He ran a private practice. He knows a lot about practice management from, mm-hmm. for him. Good. He did it and he understands it. But between that and teaching, you know, 80 folks how to do it themselves, you know, it's just, that's a tough job. It's a tough thing to ask a dentist to teach. And that's what we're being taught by a dentist and not, you know, a business. Mm-hmm. Well, well yeah, okay. Well, that's, you know, that's too bad. But I understand too that like, honestly, there's so much science and, and clinical skills that have to be established in the short window of, I know it doesn't seem short, but for four years that there's not the, they don't have the bandwidth to be able to, to plug in, you know, copious amounts of, you know, like a mini NBA or something. Interesting. You know, I, I, I though the mini MBA is actually growing at our school in Augusta. They've paired up with the. Wait, under- there is such a thing as like quote unquote a mini MBA. They did. It's, it's brand new actually. <laughs> Damn it, my idea. Yeah, so <laughs> so they're they're on to you here, and they're offering it now. It's brand new, and it's you know evening classes, and I think we've got four or five students. You know, it might have doubled at this point, but it's coming around. I also, our professor who taught our business course is really petitioning the school to turn his business class into a prerequisite all all four years. They want to start it freshman year and just kind of keep it as an ongoing. You know, that's pretty interesting that they offer it actually almost like it could be extracurricular, you know, it may be, I mean, it's not mandatory, but that'd be a great, man, that'd be a great thing because you would know, you know, the people who want to learn it, you know, here it is. And the people who don't, who don't think it'll be applicable for their for their life or what they're going to do, maybe they they maybe they're going to work for someone for the rest of their life. And I think I personally think everyone should do it, but th- I think that's pretty cool. Actually, I think that that's that's a great you know whoever designed that is thinking on their on their feet. So I would encourage you to do it, Matt. Is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I I wish I had that information two years ago. It, you know, two nights a week they go, and it's it's brand new. They the first 
person to do this program will graduate with me. Okay. And and their feedback's been pretty good, I guess, huh? Time will tell, I suppose. Time will tell. Exactly. Time will tell. You're right. That's 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 good. All right, so let's get off that for so that to be just for the record that has not that has not changed the running joke is the same just for, for every dentist out there listening it's still the joke so we need to try and do what we can to fix that in the industry for sure let me jump off that topic and i want to talk about where everyone wants to go i know that when i was leaving school everyone wanted to go to a big city but in my, I've got some feedback on that. I want to know where your classmates are wanting to go. Are they all wanting to go to big cities? Go ahead. It's a lot of return. Atlanta is our lo- you know, our local city, I guess you would call mm-hmm. it. And a lot of people in my class are from Atlanta. I think a lot of people want to return to Atlanta. But it's made very clear to us that there's a lot of opportunity in rural Georgia, rural states, rural areas of states. And I guess it, it comes down to personal preference again. You know, what what are you looking for? What do you, what makes you happy? It's kind of how I'm approaching it anyway. You know, I just don't think I would necessarily be happy, you know, if I was two hours away from a place where I could, you know, go to a nice dinner kind of thing. Right. Yeah. So because of that, you know, it's, I think, I think it's a little bit more challenging for new grads to come to a big city because, people have been doing that. So it's more competitive, right? So I would agree that what the advice you gave me is that I think rural areas are where you can thrive. I do, but I agree with the quality of life. And if you're not accustomed to that, then, or not, don't want that as a young, as a young man or young woman, then, you know, like there's a, there's a whole, there's a whole balance of life and happiness of life thing that you have to factor in on it. But, you know, I think I had some classmates that were going back to their small, small one traffic light town. And at the time I would kind of be like, huh, you know, I feel bad for you. But now in hindsight, when I look at it and I've seen, I've had conversations with people as my career has evolved and just CE and, you know, I've, I've made relationships with people that didn't, I didn't go to school with, but I see where they practice and I see that, you know, I see the care they deliver and I see the numbers their practice puts up and they're, you know, they're winning for sure. And they're in rural environments. And yet I see some people who thought they were being safe and went to big cities because that's where the quote unquote opportunity was. And they have not thrived by any capacity. Right. Competition just swallows them up. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, you're now you're in the pool with the big dogs. Right. Or let's just let's just call it that. Right. And, and you know, you're guys who have been practicing for 20 years, you know, who have established the patient database. They've established, you know, they have a lot more clinical speed and, you know, better chair side. You know, they've just been doing it longer. It's like, you know, going from college to, you know, <laughs> college football to, you know, the, the NFL. And so. I don't know. I think that I think if you've got the chops to do it, I think the big city, come on. But I think it's a lot harder personally right out the gate. I do. And that's just that's my opinion. And I think that I think that rural and outlying towns get overlooked because man, I don't want to I don't want to live there and I don't want to do that. I think that's where young grads could thrive. I really do. Where does that come from? You know, the, is that aside from competition, is there like an access? Is it an access issue as well? I guess that they're kind of married a little bit competition and access, but I mean, how, well, I think people go where they they quote unquote, think there's more money and more population density. And they think that obviously that I may not be answering your question, but that comes from like you gravitate towards where there's the biggest, you know, opportunity that you think of, but what you forget about is the saturation of other people who have thought the same thing. So, 
think I think when you know when everyone's running towards a certain direction, I think you need to stop and be like, hey, I'm going to run this direction because the you know the herd is running this way. You know, if I run the other way, there might be more opportunity. You know, so I don't know if I answered your question, but you know, I think that that does make sense. I like the the running with the herd analogy because it's you know you're looking you're looking for that open space, a place to settle in and and not be just another office. You want to be the place people say, okay, uh, there, there it is. We're going there. So yeah. And something else to think about, like I'm from, I'm from Atlanta. I grew here born and raised. And honestly, I came back here because of safety. I was scared and fearful that I wouldn't be able to go to a new city and, and do well because I didn't know anyone. Right. So I'm going to, I mean, I, I'm going to confess that right off the bat. I mean, I'm glad I came back here in hindsight, but my point of it is, is that my wife is from a very rural town in Mississippi. And I see the way she grew up versus the way I grew up and her quality of life and her family's quality of life, you know, and well, you know, everybody in town and, you know, and, and you have, it's a great quality of life and the money you make is really good because usually the cost of living is a little bit better in rural areas. And so, you know, I think it just gets downplayed and I don't want to, I don't want to focus on, you know, where to go too much, but I think that rural gets a bad rap. And, you know, if I, knowing what I know now and coming out of school, I would not blink twice about going to, to an outlying area at all. Cause I, I see the value in it and I see the opportunity and I see the quality of life and the people that, you know, so don't poo poo it is my, my point. And, 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 and tell your classmates not to poo poo it because I think there's a lot of, a lot of opportunity, right? And if you open, keep your mind open, you never know what's going to hit you. For sure. I, I definitely see that. So do you have any questions for me as, as a dentist? And I know that as a practicing dentist, I should say, and, and um, you know, I, in full disclosure, I want to tell everyone that Matt, I, I went to your dental school and, and that's where you and I met and I spoke to some of your classmates. So I definitely handpicked you to want to speak on the podcast because you were definitely a, a standout. I would say. So I want you to ask me some questions because I feel like I've been asking the dental, is there stuff that that you want to know about? I appreciate you saying that. I do. So here's a question. This is kind of specific and maybe quick. My sister-in-law is a CPA and she told me that there's no reason that you should choose a dental specific CPA to join your team for your practice. Totally agree. You agree? Okay. 100%. Actually, and this is just my experience, I've had terrible experience with quote-unquote dental CPAs. So I don't like it because everything has to fit inside the template, right? And I don't, that's not the way I worked. So I would completely... This is your sister-in-law, you said? It is. I would completely agree with her on that. You want to find someone, honestly, here's the, here's the in my opinion, the big prerequisites for a CPA. You want to find one that's, that's going to give you attention, Right for a face-to-face meeting, and this is just me, but I've I've gone through shoot eight eight CPAs by now in my life. You want to find someone that can has has time for you to have meetings quarterly. If you have your own business, if you're now if you're an associate, you know you're W two'd, you probably don't need to do that. <laughs> but if you're running your own business, FaceTime appointment to talk about where you were in the past three months and where you're going. Most of my life in my in my business ownership life, I have been talking about with my CPA about stuff that happened six six months ago. And it's super hard to be... It, all we're doing is being reactive to data we have six months ago. And I was constantly looking for someone who was, who was able to strategize and be proactive and told me, hey, this is what's coming up on the horizon. Because you want them to be your business advocate, not just someone who's filling out the forms and saying like, hey, send me all your receipts. Like That's not who you want in your life. Like Anybody can do that. Charles Schwab... I mean, not Charles Schwab, but like you know any of these places in, in the shopping centers, I don't even know what they're called. 
can do that, can fill and fill out your taxes yeah. that way. But you uh, want to find someone who's an advocate for your goals in your business and who is on the same side of the team and, and someone who's in your team, right? Because you're going to have an attorney, you know, likely you're going to have your CPA, you're going to have, you know, maybe a third party bookkeeper, like all these people you want to bring into your ecosystem of making Matt better or Pete better or Kim better, you know, whoever it is, right? But it's your team that you've entrusted. So I would completely agree with that. And I actually prefer it. So in line with that on the, you know, next, next question, attorney, what do, what should I be looking for? Especially as contracts come forward, but you know, even further down the line, what should a young dentist be looking for in an attorney? How do you, how do you know? How do you, well, f- you need to get one number one, because, and, and I always tell people if the contract is more than three pages that you were given, it's probably not for your benefit. And that's just, a, that's a, I know that's kind of a random just rule, but you know, contracts are usually designed to protect someone. Right. And so you, if you're, you're going to be, you're not coming to the table with your own contract as the associate or, or new hire or new grad. So you need to get an attorney to help you do contract review and look out for your best interest because there's verbiage in there that, you know, that sometimes we think is okay. And then you, you know, you may find out years from now that it wasn't, you know, and it may be, it may be hard to unravel that. So, Really, at this point in your life, you just need someone for contract review. It's not super expensive. Usually, you can negotiate that on the front end and let them know that, like, you know, even though you're doing contract review now, you may use them down the way and they want to establish, you want for someone to establish that same relationship like you will with your patients, right? Like, so maybe right now you're doing contract review, but before you know it, you may be my business attorney like I have, right? You like, you know, acquiring other businesses and real estate and you're using them for a lot more than just contract review. So like I said, did I answer your question? Really just, you just want someone who's knowledgeable about the contract and in your corner to protect you from X, Y, and Z. And there will probably be X, Y, and Z. So just is that a personality fit? Are you just looking for a personality in that way that you know you f- you trust them based on your interaction with them? I mean, is that is yeah, that? Yeah. Well, I mean, my my personal thing is if I don't want to ha- sit down and have a beer with you, I sure as hell don't want to have you be a someone I want to do business with. So because you know, there's nothing worse than trying to get off the phone with someone that you know you're paying because you just either don't like them or you don't respect them or whatever. So. Yeah, it might. You know, you know, don't just pick someone out of a phone book. I would definitely interview a few people and and see how their their phone side manner is versus your chair side. You know, like you want to make sure it's a good fit for you. So yeah, and I would look yeah personal recommendations from other people who have used them in the past. I mean, I've even got some people. If you if you get to that point, Matt, I've got some. I've got plenty of people I can refer you to. So yes, but I do think it's I think it's a necessity, and I actually made that mistake of not doing it in my career uh, when I was an associate and when I was going through this process. So I speak from experience of a painful experience. Get an attorney on board. Yes. Okay. Spend the money. You've already got, you're already, you're already so vested in, in your, in your career. Like what's spending another 500 to a thousand bucks on contract review, like in the big scheme of things, I know it sounds tremendous amount of money, but like it's everything, right? When, yeah. Looking at the total, you know, 30,000 foot view, it's not a big deal. I love right. so I've been listening to your podcast. I really do like the idea of that thirty thousand foot view. Just kind of just thinking about things in that way really does open your mind up a lot on various topics in general, right? And yeah. so that's been a paradigm shift for me in my life. And you really just you know sometimes you get so stuck in the in the forest, you're just staring at one tree. And if you can just back up away from that tree and be like, oh wow, there's a lot of trees here, right? And then you back up even farther and you're like, holy cow, this is a forest. And it's really just a mentality thing. And sometimes you just have to force yourself 
you know, and it comes through a little bit of life experience. You just have to force yourself to back out and look at like, what's the big picture because, you know, and tell yourself like, it's, it's going to be okay. Cause it's always okay. You know, it plays, it plays so often after hearing it, you know, just thinking about it, it you know, even outside of dentistry, it's like taking your loops off, you know, just <laughs> totally. That is exactly, that's a great analogy. Right. And sometimes you gotta, you gotta just sometimes take your loops off, Matt. You are totally right. And say, you know what? What's the big picture here? I got another question for you. This one's kind of pointed and maybe, I don't know, however. So what as a potential employer, we talked about baseline for a student, you know, kind of around 120. What could we be pushing for? You know, and, and that's definitely candidate to candidate basis. But I mean, what kind of range, I guess, is a better way to say, what kind of range are we looking at? Are practicing dentists willing to spend to bring someone in? Is there play in that number? Man, that's a good question. I mean, so you're saying like, what, where, where's the, where's the range of what you could expect? Try not um, to lowball, you know, try not to lowball yourself. No, right. I hear you. But the problem is, is like, do you know what it takes to do $500,000 worth of dentistry in a year? Like as you, the practitioner? Right. Not, not really. No, you don't know. And you've, and you've never been, it's net, you've never been tested. So it's a crapshoot for us, the hiring dentist to say, well, I take your word for it that you're fast, but I don't know. I've never watched you do it. And, you know, and, and really to make it work from a, a, you know, a fiduciary aspect, you've got to do at least three times. You've got, I mean, if you're asking for whatever salary you're asking for at minimum, 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 you have to be producing at least three times that to be a good fit. Right. So if you're, if you're wanting $200,000, well, then you better be able and ready to pony up $600,000 worth of quality dentistry or else it ain't going to work. That makes sense. And yep. so like, you just don't know, you just don't know if you can do it. And, and that's not, that doesn't mean that like, you probably can, but I'm just saying that like, you just don't know. We don't know. And so be, until it's, and it's, unpre- and we don't know as the people hiring you. So I think that, like I said, I think my good advice is just stay humble, stay amenable to change, say, Hey, well, let's look at me since I'm unproven. Let's look at what I do in six months. And let's come back to the table because everyone should win in this negotiation, quote unquote, right? So I don't know. I, I would not. I think you'll miss out on good opportunities if you come out at 250. Meaning if that gentleman who had said, I want 250 had come to me and said, you know, I don't really know what I worth. I just know I'm going to work my butt off. I want to learn. You know, I want to throw everything I have into it and I'll take whatever. I mean, not whatever, but I mean, you have to pay bills. So I'll take one, 120. I'd have been like, Okay, let's do this. You know, I wanted my dream job out of college, out of dental school. I always tell people the story. And, you know, I had, like I said, I had $150,000 in debt, but I desperately wanted to work with this one practice. And I pretty much was like, you know, and, and she was like, I can't hire someone right out of dental school. And essentially was like, I'll work for free for three months and then let's just reassess. And, you know, that statement kind of was like, what? You know, but I, but I knew. I knew that I eventually would have the chops to justify the salary that I'd be wanting or the money that I'd be wanting. I just needed a chance. And I think if you come in that with that mindset as opposed to the flip side, man, I think you'll be just set up so much better. You know, and what's six months in the big scheme of things? Like, you know, like, okay, so you suck it up for six months and you make a lot less money than you quote unquote could have made. You're also going to be missing out on some of the better opportunities and better partners in the future, you know, better associate opportunities. And you're only going to be going with the people who are promising you big money on the front end. And I, but I guarantee you, they are going to work you hard, right? Like a lot of these corporate entities, I remember going through the same process and, you know, it was five days a week dentistry, you know, they were 10 hour days, 50 hours a week of dentistry, you know? And so they're not going to do it. They're not in it to lose money 
on you. And it's not, you know, it's definitely not charity. So you have those things have to all come into play versus a lot of the private practice. You know, the quality of life is a little bit better. Yeah, you may not make as much on the front end as an associate coming right out of school, but you may have you may have a little bit more free time and you may ha- you may have a better learning environment. You may, you know, all these things and they have value in your life. It's more building something than trying to force well, it. Maybe, maybe. But I mean, you just all these things like you kind of have to be true to yourself and what, what you want to see happen. And, and for a lot of people, it's not money. A lot of people, it's, uh, you know, like I said, it's their it's their life balance. It's their experience. It's their upside. It's the, you know, it's not just, oh, well, I can make $10,000 more going here. But I get it coming out of school. You have to you're conscious. You got bills to pay coming fast and furious at you. And I get it. So I see both sides of it. But I would just implore you to I mean, I would just really recommend that you just like don't come at with a $250,000, $200,000 in that range, you know, because you're unproven. That, that makes sense. I hear you there. So you and I were also talking earlier on before I hit record about you're asking me about what's being pushed now is called the decathlon dentist. Explain that a little bit. Uh, so the way I understand it, you know, is that it's it's all about putting procedures on your shelf to sell. You know, what do you offer at your office? Decathlon was that like 10? 10, yeah. Yeah. So basically, can you do all, you know, can you do implants? Can you do sinus lifts? Can you do you know, all these little things? You know, can you do root canals? And yes, it does open up your bandwidth of procedures that you can provide. But I truly believe in, in and I said this before we, we got on the on the call, but I truly believe that, you know, a jack of all trades is a master of none. And it didn't work for me in my career to try and be all things to every patient because I, I wasn't doing as good a job as I, you know, just because I couldn't keep up with it. There's so much CE and there's so much change and, and dentistry is changing so rapidly. Having to stay on the cutting edge of care for all those niches in dentistry is literally, uh, that gives me like, I just got anxiety. Like it just came over me right now and I don't even have to do that. But like, I think they'd be tough. Now I'm going to go back and say that Remember, we'd had the rural versus big city conversation. Now, I think that if you're in a rural area, I think you probably should learn more of that. And because the access to care is a little bit different. But in a big city, you know, when you've got someone two doors down that probably does a better root canal than you, then it doesn't make sense to be like, well, I'm going to just keep it. Even though you know the person down the street is a better clinician in that aspect of you, right? So it's not in the patient's best interest. But in a rural area where there's not the access to it and they're not go- or they're not going to drive to somewhere else or they just want you to do it, I think that you maybe should or, or would want to have a bigger variety of services that you offer. So I, I was just like thinking about that decathlon uh, dentist. Uh, there's, I figured there's got to be a line somewhere between what is profitable to... Like, for instance, you decide to take on endo. You... you all of a sudden now you have to buy all of these, you know, you have to buy a system and mm-hmm. you know, there's just a lot of cost to then begin offering. And if you take that a step further, you know, into other offerings, you know, now, now you're offering implants, you know, there's just a lot of things that you have to buy, you know, now you've got a, do you have a CT, you know, totally. where, you know, where do you draw the line between paying for what you're going to offer and how, often are you going to actually be able to not only that but think about the 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 time investment of being able to stay completely current in those procedures right and so there's a lot of time that you know you're continuing education in order to stay proficient in all of those areas it's challenging 
right? And so at what point do you, are you deluding yourself that you're not profitable anymore in your business or you're not enjoying what you're doing? And that will transcend in your attitude. I promise you that, you know, and to your patients, they will pick up on that. So, you know, if you're offering root canals, even though you hate doing root canals, then don't do them, but become awesome in something else that's going to compensate, you know, your income or, you know, your survival or your sustainability because of that, you know? So, I don't know. I mean, I, th- I think it'd be valuable for you to do it just so you can laser focus on finding what you really do like to do because right now you don't, you haven't done enough of anything to, to know what you really like. So, you know, and I don't know if that, I'm, that helps. Yeah, well, I'm super excited. So I'll, I'll be doing a GPR after graduating. I'm excited about it. I'm excited about the exposure and it just makes this decathlon dentist whole idea very pertinent, you know, because mm-hmm. You know, what am I trying? Well, you know, what am I trying to get out of this extra experience with a little bit more surgical or, you know, even into... Yeah, with, so with a GPR, you will learn. You will obviously have a lot more, you, you know, it's almost like you're in private practice a little bit, but you're doing a lot of stuff. And so you will be able to be like, hmm... You know, what procedures are resonating with me versus what do I never want to do again? And I guess so look at it, you know, what do I like? What, what do I want? Yeah. But sometimes you'll do, you'll, you'll notice things that like you thought you hated in school that you actually end up really loving just because you, let's say you had a bad professor or you just got a bad grade or you had a bad experience and you thought that that you didn't love that aspect of dentistry. And it turns out that you really do like it once you were let out the gates and able to do it on your own and, you know, learn from people who are actually in the field doing it proficiently, you actually realize that you liked it. And that happened to me. So keep an open mind to things that are, that are coming at you. And I think a GPR is great, great, great proving grounds for that. Open mind is key. I, I believe that. Open mind is key. <laughs> Such is life, right? In life and in dentistry, open mind is key. Any other questions for me, pal? I know we've been, uh, we've been, I've kept you on and I've really enjoyed this. I, you're easy to chat with and I can, we can keep going and going on the, on oh, I, the... I mean, that's, you know, it's just like, you know, it's kind of a mindset. It's an interesting place to find yourself. You know, we've worked so hard. I feel like I've been in a school all my life. You know, I'm. Yeah. 28, I'm looking at 29, 30s coming in hot and I'm still in school, but I'm so excited about it. Like it's finally here, you know, graduating in May. It's just a, it's kind of surreal. It's, it's not quite real yet, but it's close. Um, just, I'm really excited about it. I can't wait. Well, you should be honestly. And, and kudos to you. It's no joke to number one, to be able to get into dentistry or dental school. It's no joke to be able to graduate. Like these are hard, big hurdles in your life and you should be proud of your fact. And honestly, like I have to say, you're getting into dentistry at a very good time. I think it's the best profession there is. You know, I think, I don't know, someone sent, forwarded me like a U.S. News and World Report, report that it was like, dentistry is like the number one job right now. So it's just an awesome profession. It's there, like I told you guys when I was lecturing, there's no ceiling. There's no ceiling. Like you can be as good as you want and, you know, there's no ceiling on your, on your income or what you want to achieve or the procedures that you want to do. Like, you know, and it's where else, where else is that possible yeah, in our world? I mean, that's such a rare rarity to, like I said, it's, it's exciting. That's so exciting. It's, yeah. Well, and you know, and I'm, I'm proud of you. I'm glad that, yeah, I'm glad that you're getting out with, you know, cause I was kind of beat down <laughs> coming out of school and uh, I'm glad that you're coming out with, with good enthusiasm and optimism because it's going to be a bright, it's a bright one. Right. And so it's, it's always okay. And it's going to be good. And you know, attitude is everything. And so I commend you for, for coming out the gate strong. And I, and I wish you tremendous luck in your GPR. And when you get out and you're ready to come to Atlanta, let's talk. Let's do it. All right, buddy. Have a great night. Thanks so much, Matt. Thanks so much, Peter. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. 
Hopefully, by now, we're delivering tremendous value to your practice operations. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast. Also, don't forget to give us a review in iTunes and let us know how we're doing. Thank you so much.